What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. I'm back. What's going on, everybody? It's good to talk to you again. It's good to be back in these podcast streets once again. Welcome to the Rebound Podcast. It is the inaugural edition of my brand new podcast on my brand new podcast network. Yes, that's right. The Field of 68 Media Network. I am officially a small business owner. Congrats. I'm already in the red. Just to fill you in on what I've been doing over the course of the last two and a half months, it's been developing this podcast network. It's been building out the infrastructure that you need to be able to own a small business. It's been making sure that we have the tech available to be able to develop podcasts and produce podcasts and lay graphics over the video and be able to live stream on Twitter and on YouTube and be able to build some of these channels where we could potentially monetize the stuff and start doing some really, really fun content. I have some really talented creators that have joined forces uh, on this network, whether it's Jeff Goodman and Robbie Hummel hosting a podcast or guys like AJ Guyton hosting Indiana podcast or Eric Devendorf hosting the Syracuse podcast or Tim Miles hosting the Mind of Miles podcast where we get to dive into whatever the hell he's thinking about on a given day. We have 12 team-specific pods to help bolster the national pods. We want to grow this thing. We want to build it so that we get every high major team uh, covered. And if you are a fan of a team that has not yet had a team specific podcast posted, the best thing that you can do to help is rate and review and subscribe, interact with these podcasts and Apple podcasts, find a way to share them, put them on your Facebook page, put them on your Twitter feed, uh, post about it on Instagram, tell a friend that, you know, is a college basketball fan. The more listens we get, the more we can sell to advertisers, the more we sell to advertisers, the more people that we can bring in to help create, the more people we bring in to help create, the more that the, these, these numbers grow and the more that this network can grow and the more that we can build this thing into something that I really think it has a chance to end up being. Uh, like I said, ideally, we want to be able to have every relevant college basketball team covered with a, a podcast hosted by a former player or a beat writer or somebody that really knows them. We want to break into the women's college basketball space. We want to break into the college football space. There is a lot of room to go to scale with this thing. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, if I'm being completely frank with you guys, by the end of my time at NBC, it kind of felt a little bit like a grind, right? Like it, uh, maybe I was at one place too long. Uh, maybe it was the same thing over and over again. Maybe it was the fact that uh, the room to grow there was somewhat stunted. I needed a change. And, you know, unfortunately, NBC forced my hand with that. And, and it's tough and it's been stressful and it's, it's, it's been worrisome. But it's also something where I feel rejuvenated and I feel energized. And, you know, I've probably had one or two nights over the course of the last three weeks where I got more than four or five hours of sleep. But I'm enjoying it. You know, as, as the saying goes, you don't work a day in your life if you love what you do. 
and I love what I'm doing. I love being up at 2.30 in the morning trying to edit podcasts. I love being up at 2 o'clock in the morning trying to develop these websites and teach myself how to program and teach myself how to use Adobe Premiere and teach myself how to create graphics and teach myself how to do all of these things that I didn't know how to do before. So I'm really, really excited about what this could end up being. I'm really, really excited about where this is going. And I hope you guys come along for the ride. So please hit that subscribe button. Say something nice about me in the review. Say something nice about me in the comments. Uh, and now I got a nice guest that you guys might be uh, might be a little bit familiar with coming on to finish out this podcast. Let's go preview the Big East Conference. We're bringing the band back together. Not for real, not for good, but for a Big East preview. I have the one and only Bobby Regan, uh, Barstool Riggs, the host of the Fundamentally Sound podcast, your favorite Kentucky basketball fan, <laughs> Riggs. It's been like three months since we did one of these, man. I, I'm not going to lie. I really miss seeing your bald dome on uh, on my on my computer screen. It feels weird. Like I thought about grabbing a beer. Like it's, <laughs> I don't care that I mean it's four o'clock. We work we work at home, right? Like what's 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 one beer gonna do? I, it's it's been a while. It's good to finally talk hoops again. Like it, the last times that we, people have podcasted, we've talked. Now, granted, me and you, like we've talked about being miserable Tottenham fans and text messages to each other, but <laughs> like. I, we had what a month stretch where everything that not just me and you, everybody in the college basketball world wrote, talked, recorded, whatever was the end of days. Yes. But That's what it here. was. It's less than a month. Like I, I've said in every blog, I it's positive vibes only from here on out. It's been positive vibes only since they canceled the NSA tournament. We're getting to games. We're going to focus on the games when they happen because who knows what's happening with the scheduling, because we've already seen it this week. I'm so excited to just talk hoops again. Yeah, so that's what, for people that are listening and tuning into this, that's what this pod is going to be, at least as we kind of run uh, down the preseason. Um, Jeff Goodman and Robbie Hummel, obviously, are also on this podcast network, and they have plenty of takes on things like Greg Marshall and things like Sean Miller and things like testing and things like the ESPN bubble collapsing and all of those things that I really just, I, I don't have the bandwidth to talk oh, about man. right now. So what me and you are going to talk about Reese is nerdy college basketball stuff. And I've never <laughs> been so happy. All right. So, and we're going uh, to, and we're going to piss everybody off because we're going to rank teams wrong. Oh yeah. And we're going to like, we're takes are back, baby. Oh the yeah. Oh, flying. they're flying. And we're starting with the big East, baby. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be the format of these conference previews. More or less, we're each going to talk about one or two things that we think are the biggest biggest question marks or biggest determining factors for how this conference season is going to end up playing out. Then we're going to talk a little bit about our preseason players a year, preseason uh, all biggies first teams. Then we're going to kind of go through the tiers on who we think are the best teams, the next best teams, the tournament teams, who is at the bottom of the conference, <coughs> Georgetown. <coughs> <laughs> uh, but that's basically what we're going to uh, going to do for this. It's pretty simple stuff, you know. It's, it's all all just previews, thirty minutes in and out. I'm going to let you start, Reeks. You are the guest. I've missed you. I want to hear your voice. Tell me your single biggest question mark when it comes to Big East basketball this season. All right, so I'm snatching it from you because I know you're a UConn fan at heart. It's UConn, like UConn's back in the Big East, right? You talk to UConn fans. I have I no mean, idea. UConn's back. Yeah, apparently. apparently. All right. <laughs> you talk to UConn fans, you would think that they've been good and held back by the American the last few years. They haven't been good. 
Like, they were not a good basketball team for years. And, yes, go ahead, fire off 2014. I totally get it. You were still a seven seed that won the NCAA tournament. It's not like you guys were great. You got hot for six games. Ever since then, like, they've been bad. They haven't even been average. They've been a bad basketball program. Obviously, the Kevin Ollie, you know, gets, gets fired. They bring in Dan Hurley. Everyone agrees that's a smart hire. He's recruiting well. But it's not like they were good last year, right? Like, they have pieces, and we'll get into that later on. You now move from the American, which is not a, good, a better basketball conference than the Big East. They're stepping up in, in, in class, right? I, I don't think that's a hot take. Everyone agrees the Big East is better than the American, except for Cincinnati fans. The <laughs> Big East is better than the American. And everyone's just like, oh, this is, this is a top 20 team. This is a top 25 team. This is UConn's year. Like, they're going to be a three seed. No, like, that's the biggest question mark is what happens if UConn struggles this year? Right? What if UConn go, wins? They're playing tw- twenty regular t- conference games, right? What if they yep. win? What if they go eight and twelve? What if they miss the NCAA tournament? What if they're? What if they sneak in as like a first four team? Are UConn fans still going to be like psyched to be in the Big East? I'm sure they will, but like the expectations of UConn versus the reality of the situation and stepping up and and into this Big East, which we'll get into in tears and all that, of a lot of decent teams which UConn kind of falls a line in based on what they have. That's the biggest question mark is what does UConn do in the Big East? So a couple things. One, I love that you said Seist because that very much tells me that you are like a 1990s white boy because that's like when I was in middle school, that's like all I said. You <laughs> yeah. weren't psyched, you were Seist. So yeah, I love Seist. that you said that. I, I, a nice little throwback there. Um, as far as UConn itself, I, I do think that there are a lot of question marks with this team, obviously, right? The potential is there though. and yeah. I choose to look at this team with rose-tinted glasses on. James Booknight, All-American. Certified All-American. What team, though? I just probably <laughs> third team. Teams. I don't, I don't think All-Americans. Yeah, a lot of it depends on, for me, at least when I'm ranking things like that at the end of the season, a lot of it depends on how much you won. Like, I don't okay. think that you can be – I have Luca Garza's preseason national player of the year because I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be good enough for Cade Cunningham to win the award, even though Cade Cunningham is like – by far the best player in college basketball. In is Trey so, really the only player to surpass that? Like individual awards to team success, at least in recent well, memory. Yeah, but Trey didn't maybe. even Trey didn't even win Player of the Year. Like Jalen, no, Brunson but I'm saying he was the awards that year. He was one and two, right? Like it was he was yeah. the clear second. He was unanimous first team All American. It was I, I, maybe McDermott. Or, McDermott was a three seed. So the last that's guy, what I'm saying. like yeah, the last the last guy that wasn't on a team that was a top four seed in the NCAA tournament to win like national player of the year, not just like one random award from some random random website, right. but one of like the big six awards was Andrew Bogut in 2005 for a six seed Utah team when he was, when he was the number one pick in the draft. Uh, other than that, it's basically been all one seeds or two seeds, like legitimate national title contenders right. and people or someone that like a Kevin Durant or a Jim Fredette or a Doug McThurk. But they so, were all three seeds, right? I know, yeah, three I know Jimmer seeds. was a three seed. Um, McDermott was a three seed and Durant was a four seed. So Durant I think book night, I think book night is probably going to be like a third team, all American. Like that's the best case Makes scenario sense. for him. First team, all big East kind of a player. So yeah. I think he's, I, I just, I think he's one of these guys that's going to uh, have a breakout year. He averaged 13 points last season. He averaged 15, a big East play and he averaged 17 over the course of the last 13 games. So he already kind of had his breakout. Now you're going to see his starter. But beyond that, like, there's a bunch of athletic shot makers on this roster. 
and some big guys that can do a job, right? Like Josh Carlton, rebound, score in the post. He could do a job. Isaiah Whaley um, can do a job. Uh, the Tyler Polly, the kid that tore his ACL, he mm-hmm. could do a job. A cook, a cook, he could do a job. Athletic rim protector, switchable. So the pieces are there. The question for me, are their big guys going to be healthy? And what are they going to get out of the point guard spot? How good is RJ Cole going to end up being as a, as a distributor? So if you were to tell me that UConn was like a 500 team in the Big East and kind of in that like 8 to 10 range in the NCAA tournament, I certainly think that that's possible. If you were to tell me that they were like that a five to six range top 25 team, I th- certainly think that that's possible. If you want to tell me that they're going to be a top 10 to 12 team in college basketball this year, I don't, I think there's a, a less than zero chance or um, a, a non-zero chance that that's yeah. the case. I also think that there's a non-zero chance that they just completely flame out and miss the NCAA tournament. So see, I think there's a chance for that. Yeah. I there, think, I think there's a chance for that. Yeah. There's a lot of potential with this team. It's also a young team with guys in important positions that are injured. But the thing about it is, and the reason why UConn fans are so fired up, it's finally something that you can kind of latch onto and say, okay, we got a real chance. So that's basically the the gist of why they're getting so much hype from from the state, more or less. Uh, It's not even the state. Like, I feel like a lot of just college basketball media is hyping up UConn this year, too, right? Like, for every reason you just listed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is why I think there's a chance they do, they do flame out and miss the tournament. Now, I would bet that they make the tournament, but I, why I think there's a, a legit chance they don't and, and do flame out. How many times do we see this, right? James Boatnight is every single person in our industry's breakout player. Every single person is, 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 this, is this is his year. This is, he's the one that's going to break out and be the star. Um, the, you know, you hype up like RJ Cole is a transfer. How many times do we see transfers, especially up transfers, mm-hmm. not pan out or not live up to the hype? Um, all these pieces that you mentioned of, of guys that do a job, well, you're still talking about 18 to 22-year-old kids. What if yep. one guy thinks he's better than what his job is? What if the one guy doesn't do his job at the Big East like he was able to do in the American? So we've seen teams like UConn flame out and 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 – completely miss expectations for the year. That's why I think this is the biggest question mark because yeah. as great as we think Hurley is as a coach and his turnaround at Rhode Island, which is a tough place to win. It's not like he had this crazy, crazy success at Rhode Island, right? Like it's very single-minded when you look at Rhode Island as a program and the success he had, but it's not like he was dominating the eight ten year after year and turning Rhode Island into, you know, ocean state gonzaga or something along those lines so that's what i like I, like i think hurley has something to prove too in a way yeah no i mean you're 100 correct and if anybody that's saying uconn is better than like a team that can potentially be top 20 then they're just completely overstating what right. uconn is right. and they, that's just kind of the bottom line for me so i think the biggest question mark for me is going to be how do teams replace the stars that they lost and i know that's yeah. kind of like low flat, low hanging fruit but I think it's really interesting to talk about what Seton Hall could end up being and what Marquette could end up being. Like I, in a vacuum, I think I would rather have Miles Powell than last year's Miles Powell than last year's Marcus Howard, just because I feel like the leadership qualities, the defense, like there was more that Miles Powell provided for Seton Hall than what Marcus Howard did for Marquette. Although it's like, I mean, it's the, you know, do you like vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream, right? Like yeah. They were both- they were both fucking awesome. But they were. Thing is, they were. Yeah, but so, but so my take is that I think what Marcus Howard did 
for Marquette, given the, the structure of the way that they play, will be easier to replace considering the fact that they still got Kobe McEwen there and considering the fact that they got DJ Carton coming in. Now, that's a whole separate conversation we could have about DJ Carton, but um, I, I think that they can still play the same way that they want to play, and they'll still be pretty close to as good at doing it with the guys that they have right now. Whereas with Seton Hall, I think you kind of have to restructure their identity without Quincy McKnight and without Romero Gill. Like the thing about Seton Hall last year was they were like, like a punch you in the face defense that was going to grind you down, that was going to get up in you. Quincy McKnight, one of the best point of attack defenders in, in college basketball. Romero Gill, a seven-foot monster at the rim, catch lobs, block shots, do all of that good stuff, right? They had switchable pieces on the perimeter that can kind of – uh, throw a wrench in things. That's why they were so good defensively. Now, offensively, they were just kind of like Miles Powell and then whatever else you get and you figure it out from there, more or less, right? And I think this year, they're going to be a pretty good and probably a more balanced offensive team. I do think Bryce Aiken's going to sure. be really, really good. Um, I like, I think Miles Kale, like he has to have a bounce back year at some point, right? Like I've been hyping this guy up for so long. He's got to have a good year. Some <laughs> at, at some point, Miles Kale has to yeah. have a good year. Uh, and Jared Roden, I think, is going to be a guy. Like, you put those those three pieces together, and you can tell yourself a story where that's going to be an effective offensive team. My question, especially with Sandra, like, I, I, I think Manu is like a sleeper to be kind of like a top 40 pick in next year's NBA draft because, like, it's there's not, a lot of – a ton of money overseas. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that he could do on a basketball court. So you put all those things together – and there's a like you could tell yourself a story where they're going to be a pretty good offensive team. My question is, what happens when you don't have that identity of being one of the best defensive teams in college basketball? I think they lose some leadership. So for me, the biggest question is going to be, how do you replace those two guys and which one of those teams kind of takes a step forward? Because to me, they're kind of right there with UConn as the, the group behind the top two. I want to play devil's advocate. Okay, I, disagree with, I disagree with a lot that you said. Or I shouldn't say I disagree. I, I go the I'm, other I'm, way. I'm, sh- I'm shocked that you disagree with a lot of what I just said. A, I think – well, A, Kevin Willard has a history of being a great defensive coach. Five times yeah. on Ken Baum at Seton Hall, he's finished with the top 30 defense nationally. So the identity of, yes, like Gill is a monster, but like they're still going to be, I think, that punch you in the mouth defense. I think you might adjust how they defend. Like kind of like what we saw Brad Underwood do at Illinois this past year, where yeah. he went from you know blitzing and jumping everything to kind of just playing a straight half court defense. You can adjust now, like okay, we don't have this seven foot guy that can protect the rim, but we have a bunch of guards and wings that can just get after dudes. Yep. And I think you see Willard just kind of embrace that, and he's been really good at adjusting season by season of what he has, especially on the defensive side. We did see last year a little bit of Seton Hall without Miles Powell. They beat Maryland without him. They, you know, Powell was injured. Powell was also very inefficient. Like he, yes, he, he they relied on him so much. I think they're going to be better off long-term without him than Marquette is without, Mar- without Marquette. Um, because I think that a, I, I trust Willard more than Wojo B. I like the piece that they have all the, all the things you said about Seton Hall. And there's pieces we didn't even list like half their team that they still have. They're like yep. they can go deep. Um, they have guys that I think can keep, take that jump. You mentioned Roden. I think Tyree Samuel's another guy that, that that should be mentioned as as someone who can who can take a jump and absolutely not maybe be quote hindered by the Miles Powell. And again, I want to take what what Miles Powell did as a, a player, but 
Seton Hall, like you said, they, they did kind of rely on get the ball to Powell and just kind of stand around. I think they're, they might be better offensively simply by just moving the ball more and not having that. We see it all the time, especially in college and, and, and high school into college of, hey, we have a really, really damn good score. Let's get him the ball and just run one four low or one yeah. four high or whatever. We see it all the time. Um, I, I like Seton Hall this year. I, I like them a lot this year. I think they are going to be the quintessential. They're going to be terrible to watch. Like, you are going to get annoyed watching Seton Hall basketball this year. You're going to be like, damn it, they're on again at 6.30 on FS1. And <laughs> I think like, those fucking 6.30 right, games, man. I, I love them. But if you're like, I'm going to watch this and be like, god damn it, this game's like 48-47. They're going to have a little Virginia to them, but uglier. Like, they're going to be I, like – I, I, I think they will be better offensively. I think yeah, they're going to so, be better offensively. No, I agree, but they're. Gonna, I think they're just going to be that aggressive defensively that they're going to foul a ton. They're going to be like West Virginia. That's what I think they they can kind of mimic. It's like the West Virginia teams, and I think what Marcus Howard did to Marquette and did for Marquette is just so much more valuable than what Miles Powell did for Seton Hall. Fair enough. Um, two things I also want to add uh, to this conversation. One, I think the most important point that you made was the one about Wojo versus Willard. That That's something that you absolutely have to take into conversation yep. there. Um, the other part of it is the point guard. So Bryce Aiken has got to stay healthy. If he doesn't stay healthy, that's then key. this is an entirely different conversation. Um, and the other part of it is when DJ Carton left Ohio State, how can I phrase this? Uh, it was not exactly something that that staff was sad about. Let's just put it that way. So right. there's going to be like – how DJ Carton embraces being the leader and maybe the go-to guy on the team is going to be something that's very interesting to watch and very important to determining how good Marquette ends up being. They were three and six. Yeah. They, well, um, Ohio state was, I believe it was three and six with him on the roster in the big 10 and then eight and three without him in the big 10. So that's, that's something that you also need to know. All right. And, um, and it's worth noting. He's young. Like he is good. He is a, I guess, technically a sophomore. Mm-hmm. He like, you're asking a guy that played like what 17 games last year to now step in and be a star. Like we don't see that happen a lot unless you're looking at the top like top end recruits that are typically at Kansas, Kentucky, Duke. We like we don't see that happen in a major conference that often. Yep, it'll be a big ass. All right, real quick, what's your uh, what, what, any other questions that you have? Yeah, I think you didn't mention two other stars that desperately need to be replaced. Well, I just wanted to go with the two big ones, but continue. Go ahead. Because I was yeah. say, Kamar Baldwin is needs to be mm-hmm. in that conversation as well. For what I mean, what he's at Butler might arguably be more valuable than Marcus Howard and Miles Powell, like well, what he yeah. was to Butler. The only reason I didn't mention him is because I just don't think that Butler is going to be relevant for any conversation right. at any point this season. That's uh, fair. But yes, you're absolutely right. But the other big one is, I'm assuming you're going to say Tyshawn Alexander. Well, that's fair, too. I was thinking just guys that straight up graduated. Um, and I was going to go with Xavier, losing both Najee Marshall and Tyreek Jones. Yes, Najee Marshall's a really, really big one. You're right. Marshall and Tyreek Jones. Tyreek Jones was the leader of Xavier. Mm-hmm. So, again, because I think Xavier, and we'll get to it later, you're talking about teams that are in this middle. Somebody has to be the third best team in this conference. Yep. But um, all right. Tyson so Alexander t- is also an obvious answer. Yeah, so that that's my other major question, Mark. And uh, it's just kind of, we know what we're going to get out of this Villanova team, right? It, it, I think it's 
it's it's it's very impressive that they can lose a guy like Sadiq Bay, who is going to be a lottery pick as a sophomore when it was not expected for him to be this good. And Villanova still, like, I think they're going to be the best team in college basketball, right? Like, they have all the wings. I they have a senior point. Yeah, me too. Like, Colin Gillespie is going to be an All-American. Jeremiah Robinson Earl will be close to being an All-American if he's not an All-American. Jermaine Samuels, the perfect, like, quintessential uh, Villanova-like combo forward, right? He's going to make threes. He's going to be tough defensively. He's going to rebound. And he just makes the team better when he plays, right? Then you got Caleb Daniels, Brian Antoine, and Justin Moore to kind of figure it out at the it, other guard I think spots. It took you six names to name the most important player on that roster. Justin Moore is the quintessential. Justin Moore. He's the quintessential. I, I, I was, he's a quintessential. I was, I was trying to kind of throw in my head. <laughs> he's a quintessential Villanova guard that Sappy like played in the played his role. He's the breakout this year. Justin mm-hmm. Moore is the. He's the most important player on that roster, I think. I I would I would say, I would say Brian Antoine is going to be like the the influential guy. But there, I, I mean, it's the, the, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I, but I think Justin Moore is the most important player. Like yeah, they can all, win if Brian Antoine. Three of those not, guys. If Brian Antoine's not living up to the Brian Antoine hype coming out of high school, Villanova can still win. If Justin Moore doesn't take a jump, I don't think Villanova's best team in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's going to – I think Caleb Daniels is also really, really good. So, I think those three guys, they need, they need two, or, two of the three of them need yeah. to live up to what you would expect out of, like, a Villanova I'm starting just a, caliber player. I'm a little hesitant on, on Caleb Daniels. Because, again, how many times do we hear the transfer is the best player in practice? Oh, he's going to be a star. Look at everything he did during the redshirt year. And I know, like, some of it is true. Some of it is just what's said year after year for every single team across the country. And Caleb Daniels was really good at Tulane. I just – I'm hesitant to automatically be like, this is a dude that's going to come in and score like 14 a game for Villanova or something like that. Yeah, no, I got you. I, I just – I'm going off of the fact that uh, someone on that Tulane staff, when he transferred, said – basically said like, damn, we just lost our NBA player. Yeah, right. That's, I mean, and that's – I 100% agree that he is a good player. I'm, it just – that's the report that everyone has on, on Villanova this year. Yeah. So replacing Tyshawn Alexander is going to be a big thing as well. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this plenty in the past, but it's his ability as a a ball stopping defender. Like he is really, really, really good guarding another team's um, yes, Miles uh, best player. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> it's, I, I've actually kind of come around to the idea of him being on an NBA roster yeah. next season, just because he can shoot. He could play, make a little with the ball in his hands, and he's a really, really good defender. At he knows his four. role, too. So that, to me, the, the question for Creighton is going to end up being, does anyone kind of step into that, that, that like, go-to – or what, yeah. what's the defensive stopper, I guess, is probably the best word for it. Um, so, I, like, seeing someone step up there, like, they have enough big guys that I expect one of them to be – more than serviceable right somebody on that one of those like four big guys on their roster is going to end up being good enough they always get that too right like they always yep. have one big guy that ends up being serviceable yeah they just need one big guy to be good enough and they've got like four of them um, but it's going to be how how much does Denzel Mahoney kind of end up developing can Damian Jefferson turn into something that is uh, at least close to what um, Tyshawn Alexander was defensively because we know what Mitch Ballack is and we know what Marcus Zagorowski is and neither of them are Tyshawn Alexander. So who can kind of step into that role? Can that person stay healthy? Yeah, because what's so dangerous about Creighton are those like eight to ten minutes a game 
when they decide to play five guards. And so, being able to have someone do what Tyson Alexander did is so critical to them being able yeah, to do that. You, uh, Creighton was actually my second biggest question too, but a different angle is how does Creighton handle expectations? This is the first year that Creighton's really had expect like preseason expectations, right? Like their preseason top 11 consensus, maybe top 12, mostly in the top 10. Um, there's clear second choice in the big East behind Nova for, again, consensus. I was high on Creighton last year going into the year, but again, like you're talking about like, I think I had him like 22nd, 21st, something like that. How does a team that's not y'all like, I mean, Mitch Ballack's been in college for 72 years. He's, he's 37 years old. He is. He went to high school with Perry Ellis. I mean, he went to high school with Robbie Hummel. And he part of the field of 68, mind yeah. you. <laughs> who also went to high school with Scott Martin, who was the player to the longest player in college basketball history. But Creighton's never had expectations. How do you how do you and that's what I think kind of made Creighton great is that they just kind of flew under the radar. Like, hey, this is a really good team, fun offensively. Then all of a sudden you look and they're like, wait, they're winning the big east. Right. Well, this year, now they're again, consensus top 10, 12, whatever in the country. That's different for a team going into a year. Take out the weirdness of this year to begin with. Going in with expectations when you've played college basketball for multiple years, not having those, where it's almost like Final Four bust for Creighton, or at least Elite Eight, you know, some sort of second weekend trip. What happens if they, they struggle out of the gate? Or again, you know, they don't find that Tyshawn Alexander defensively. One of the big guys doesn't, doesn't turn into serviceable. Now, now uh, McDermott's got to scramble a little bit. How much does that screw with them from a mental standpoint. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I have Creighton a little bit lower than the consensus. It's not necessarily just dealing with the expectations. It's more that I don't know if this roster is as complete and as balanced as I would want them to be. Like, I think they're more kind of like back-end top 20 around there than they are. top 15, top 17, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I've seen them in the top 10, and I, I just, I can't, I'm not on board with that just yet. I, I think they can get there. They have the potential um, because of a guy that we're about to talk about. And I'm assuming, do you have Marcus Zegarowski as your preseason player of the year? Yeah, I do. I yeah, think he, I, I think he's going to be close to consensus. I actually, I don't think it'll be close to consensus. I see a lot of people probably give it to like Gillespie. Yeah. I mean, the, the four year Villanova point guard tends to be pretty good, whether they're Ryan Archdiakono <laughs> or Jalen Brunson or whoever it is. Um, so I can definitely get on board with that. Uh, but I think you got to give it to Zegarowski just based off of what he's done. We we know how good he is, right? Is there really I mean, any other uh, option between him, Gillespie, maybe Boat Knight? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could give it to um, probably Jeremiah Robinson Earl if you do believe that they're going to end up being really good. Yeah, I guess. Um, but I, I don't – I think it's got to be Gillespie or Marcus Zegarowski. At least just for me. Like, Zagorowski was so good last year. Uh, I don't think people realize just how good he was. I know. Well, Zagorowski also, like, he's bigger than what people think. So, yeah. when you go, like, talking about what we did with Creighton defensively, where I think a lot of people just, A, you, you think pace and all that and just outscore opposing teams. You also think, of, like, the smaller Creighton guards where guys like Brunson and, and how many times did you see Villanova just post up a Creighton guard? Yeah, you can't really do that against like Zigarowski as much as I think the person who doesn't watch a lot of Creighton basketball just imagines. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there. Um, I, I just think when you have a guy that's coming off a season where he averaged sixteen five and four, yeah. and then Creighton is going to be like a consensus probably top twelve to fifteen team, 
and they lose their leading scorer. So you know that he's going to take a step forward in terms of what his usage is, in terms of what his numbers are going to be. Like at some point, you just kind of have to say like, okay, we're probably looking at like an 18-7-4 kind of year out of Zagorowski, yeah. really efficient. Like That to me, if you think that's what he's going to, going to do for a team that's going to be top 15, like yes. he's got to be league player of the year. But also at the same point, like I can also talk myself into like Gillespie will probably average 16-6, and six, really efficient, playing for the number one team in the country. Like yeah. That certainly has an argument too. So I, I can go either way. I think if you don't have either of them or if you don't have both of them on your preseason first team, all Big East team, like what are you even doing? Why I think there's here? like four locks for the preseason team. Who are they for you? Uh, those two, Robinson Earl, James Bowknight. And then yeah. fill in your fifth. I have David Duke. Yeah, I mean, I think Duke's a popular choice. You could go Duke. You could go Mamu. You could go mm-hmm. – uh, I'm trying to think who else off the top of my head here. You could go Scruggs. You could go Aiken if you think he stays healthy and and, and Xavier. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of question marks there. I, I think that David Duke's going to have a big year. We should probably talk about Providence at some point just based off of, you know, how good they were at the end of last season and how who bad they, they were at the start of last season. Like, it just – it doesn't make any sense. My They, they my, lose a lot too, which is weird. But, like – I think everyone would kind of agree they're like a top 40, 45 team in the country. Uh, yeah, I, I can talk myself into it if you're buying um, the uh, the St. Joe's transfer. What's it? Jared Bynum. If you're buying Jared Bynum as being a guy yeah. that can be a really good high-level point guard, because Ed Cooley's systems like are built around having a really good, really productive, uh, creative point guard out of ball screens, right? Like that's just when they're at, when they're at their best, that's what Ed Cooley's offenses mm-hmm. have. When they struggled at the start of last year, um, it was because – and I'm blanking on his name. The UMass transfer. Oh, Luane Pipkins. Yeah, it was because Luane Pipkins um, was not very good at the start of the season. Then, come around – come like mid-December, early January, he really started to turn things around. By the end of the year, he was really good. And once yeah. Ed Cooley had a really good point guard, Providence turned into a really good team. So, it's to me, it's Jared Bynum. How good could he end up being at the point? A.J. Reeves, how consistent is he going to end up being? And does David Duke take that next step that he can kind of replace what they're losing with Alvin Watson's Diallo? very important, too. Yeah, but, like, to me, we, we know what he is. Like, he's just a good player, right? But I'm saying also just within Cooley's system, right? Like, part, yes, you need to have that creative guard. You also need to have a big that can finish. How many, like, you look at Providence's best team, they typically had, you know, whether it was Dunn or um, – Bryce Cotton. They also had bigs that could just finish. And, and all of a sudden you look up and they have, what, 13 and nine? The, yep. If Watson's that, then I think they third best team in the, the conference. Yeah, I, I don't – I think that's certainly within, like, the range of outcomes. Yeah, well, but I guess from three to seven or three to eight, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's three to six. I'm going to – well, we can get into that. So let's get into the tiers. Do you have it, – it's Villanova and everyone else, right? So it's Villanova tier one, Creighton tier two. By those two are by themselves, but in two separate tiers. Because I think everyone agrees Creighton's the second best team, yes. but they're not Villanova. Then tier three, I think you have Providence, Xavier, Seton Hall, UConn, Marquette. Those five. I would not have Xavier in that conversation, and here's why. Without Najee Marshall on the roster, 
what are you scared of? Like if you're, if you're a coach and you're game planning against Xavier and you're going to say, okay, this is what we have to stop first. If we can't stop this, we can't win. Last year, if you were going up against him, you said, okay, we got to find a way to slow down Najee Marshall because if we can't slow down Najee Marshall, we're probably not going to be able to win, especially if you're playing them on the road. With him gone, like who are you scared of on that roster? Who do you, I think who Scruggs, do you have to game plan around stopping? Like I, 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 I like get it with Scruggs a little bit. Like he's good. I think Kiki Taney is going to take a huge jump. I think he, I think he can be a guy. Um, now the question is, we still don't know if Ben's what Ben Stanley's got a waiver. I know he's applied for one. If he gets eligible, that's another really good score. And again, yeah, it's, but it's, if, it's if you're building, but if he's your third score, like I, again, I just I really like Kiki Tandy, and I think Scruggs without Najee Marshall there, because they're they're like the same player, and they just kind of clogged each other up. I think now you have it a little more open and listen, like Quentin Gooden was, was good for his role, but he was also a non-shooter that again, just clogged the lane when you're playing the savior team, you just packed the lane against them. I think you see a little bit more spread and that allows Scruggs to start attacking. And I think that's where he can take advantage. And I think, yeah. and, and I like him defensively. If they can just get one more guy to kind of be a, a defensive stopper, especially from the big spot. I think they're like, there's no difference to me between them and, and UConn or them and Marquette or whatever. I think they're all the same. It's just they're going to eventually get into different tiers, but to start the season, they're all the same. I just think that there's more – for the other four teams that we mentioned, UConn – for me, it goes like this. It goes, um, it goes UConn, then Marquette, assuming that, that DJ Carton, like the best version of DJ Carton shows yeah. up. It goes UConn, Marquette, Seton Hall – Providence for three through three through six. That's to me is the. I would have Seton three. Hall three for me. If if I'm going in order, I would say Seton Hall. Go Seton Hall. Providence. You gosh, um, you know what? I'll stick to it. I think Xavier, UConn, Marquette. Yeah, you're so you're way low on UConn. I think this is just the UConn hate coming out because you're sick of hearing me talk about them so much. <laughs> <laughs> so here's – I think my my hot take is that I'm cautiously optimistic that DePaul is going to be, like, somewhat decent. Um, and I'm saying that assuming – that last year? Yeah, but, like, better than what they – they still finished, like, at the bottom of the league. Like, they, well, they were sure, fun for a while. We DePaul. made a lot of money betting them at the start of the season. Um, they had the best comeback in the history of gambling. Do you remember this? When they were down 18 at halftime to Minnesota? George, I think it might have been Central Michigan. Oh, Central Michigan. Eight, they were down 18 at halftime and then covered 12 and a half points yep. on a layup at the buzzer, which was one of the greatest wins I've ever had in the history of gambling. So I can, I'm never going to hate on Dave Lato again. Um, <laughs> that's probably why I'm so bullish on him right now. But, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I like Charlie Moore. Yeah. I think that – Getting Ray Salnave, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, the kid from Monmouth, is going to end up being a, a, a solid addition to help them create. And I think that Javon Freeman Liberty from Valpo, assuming he gets eligible. Um, I think he I is. Think, have they ruled it yet? I haven't been able. Like, I, I can't think keep track so. of the transfer. I think so. I've lost so much track, but I think yeah. he's eligible. If, if he's eligible, to me, that's a difference maker. I think he's got, like, sneaky NBA upside. Um, he was really he's, good at Valpo. He's like 6'3". He's athletic. He can make shots off the dribble. Um, he can create a little bit. So uh, I, I think with those three in the backcourt combined with just like some some pieces that they have up front, like that's not bad. To me, it's better than anything else at the bottom of the league. Like St. John's, I'm just not in on them. 
Butler, I'm just not in on them. Like, look at Butler's roster, dude. Like, there, what on that that roster are you scared of? Like, are you scared of either of the Bryces at the five or the four? Like, no, you're not scared of either of the Bryces. Nobody is scared of either of the Bryces. If, are you scared Bo of Hodges Yair gets, Bolden? If Bo Hodges gets eligible, is he the scariest player offensively for him? He might be. <laughs> like, he might be. And and you know, but the the good thing about being Butler this year is at least you're not Georgetown. Yeah. Man, Georgetown. <laughs> Man, Georgetown. That be, has any program ever flipped quicker from being like, okay, they got a shot to be something here. Maybe Patrick Ewan knows what he's doing to, oh, God, this team is horrible. I mean, quicker than, than Georgetown flipped. Like, they had, they had a roster that was, it was uh, um, James Akinjo, Mac McClung, Josh LeBlanc, Omer Yurt Seven, Caduce Wahab. Like, that is, that, that's a starting five of a Jamarco team Pickett. that could be like – Yeah, Jamarco had, Pickett. Like, they had a team that, that was good uh, enough Georgetown. to be like a top top eight seed in the tournament. Georgetown needs to be good. Like, they have such awesome colors. They have such awesome, like, jerseys. Just – Brent – all right. Patrick Ewing needs to hire Allen Iverson. Let him recruit. Because who wouldn't <laughs> want to go play for Allen Iverson? Everyone wants to play for – and you know that Allen's going to be dropping the bag, too. It's yeah. probably just going to be like chips from the whatever casino he was at the night and, before. And Iverson's like the only dude that played when we were growing up that like respects players today. He'd be the best player. Like he'd be the best recruiter in the country. Did I ever tell you about the time? Have I ever told you about the, the uh, TGI Fridays on City Ave? In Philly? Yeah, you've told me off air. So there's a, there's a TGI Fridays. It's, on, like, it's the one that Allen Iverson used to go to all the time when he was playing for the 76ers. And I swear, like this TGI Fridays, you walk in, and it's like a club. There's like bottle service there. <laughs> and like the music is just blasting and thumping. And there's a dance floor. I've never seen a dance floor at a TJ Fridays before. And apparently like AI used to just go in there and get after it. Why like wouldn't close down the bar, run up like $10,000 tabs. And he was $20 apps. And like, for like I, I'm telling you, man, like whenever, whenever there used to be, they used to have like the Reebok Invitational on Philadelphia University's campus. And that is right next to the city Ave. TGI Fridays. They used to go to that all the time. Um, it was they had an Under Armour All America camp at that that same location a while back too. And the hotel that they used to put up put, put us up at was in the same parking lot as that TGI Fridays. So I used to go <laughs> to that Fridays all the time. I saw I saw Diamond Stone's dad there once, no, and I remember no. I was sitting next to Diamond Stone's dad at the bar and like. The, the bass is thumping and we're sitting there, we're eating our like, what, what's the special that they have? Like 50% off apps or something yeah, like it's that. It's like unlimited apps, like 20 bucks. Yeah. So like, we're just sitting there like eating our mozzarella sticks <laughs> and eating our like Buffalo uh, chicken wings or whatever. No, no, it was, um, it was boneless chicken wings, boneless Buffalo wings is what we were eating. And I'm just sitting there with Diamond Stone's dad. And, and I'm like, have you ever seen a TGA Fridays like this? And he's like, I've never, I've, he's like, I have never seen a TGA Fridays. Like well, this. to be fair, Diamond Stone's from Wisconsin. Yeah, that's true. But they, I don't, they, they've seen TGI Fridays, but they have not seen things like that TGI Fridays up in Wisconsin. Yeah, Alan, so, so Alan Iverson, he, the one man in America that can make TGI Fridays lit. I think that's where we end the podcast right there. That, and he can bring Georgetown back. Like Patrick Ewan, go hire Alan Iverson. Alan Iverson made Fridays great again. And he's going to make Georgetown great again. Well, no, we can't do make Georgetown great again no, because that's, that. that's, that's legit MAGA. But anyways, all right, Reese, it was great to talk to you again. Great to see your pretty face again. Great to have you back on the podcast again. Uh, we're hopefully going to be doing a couple more of these. We're going to try to get to every one of the major conferences before the season actually starts. I got some takes to fire off. You know Reese has some takes to fire off. Well, so I mean, as always, 
Follow him on Twitter. It's at Barstool Riggs. Go and find his podcast. It's the Fundamentally Sound Podcast. Anywhere that you can get podcasts for absolutely free. Rate, review, subscribe to that. Then rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Find everything that you need on the Field of 68 Media Network. It's my company, man. I'm a, I'm a business owner now, Riggs. I'm a business owner. I have an LLC to my name. All right, uh, hopefully now for drinks and expensive then. <laughs> Not yet, dude. <laughs> we're, still, we're still in the red. Still in the red. Um, at Reeks, it was great catching up, man. Uh, we'll we'll talk again next week. All right, man. See ya.